This is our second week in our Prayers of Jesus focus. We're focusing today on, in your studies, on the persistent widow who came to the unjust judge and just bothered him and pestered him until he finally had to give in. Jesus gave this as an illustration of prayer, but not as an illustration that God is like that judge, but an illustration to say, if that judge finally gave in, that judge who didn't care about the woman and didn't care about anyone else, how will God not answer our prayers? How will God not hear us, the God who loves us and who desires to be in fellowship with us? And the passage for the sermon this morning is again, like last week from James, this time James chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. There was a retired preacher from Westchester. You know that big, big church on 202? Uh, He was the one who had that built. You may not know it. It doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant, I guess. But anyway, he, as after he retired, invited a bunch of the younger folks from Donegal Presbytery, and back then I was one of them, um, to uh, a preaching support group, and he helped us understand a little bit more about preaching. And in this time, he told us about different forms of sermons. Of course, you have the three-point sermon, one, two, three, and then everyone knows where we are. And, and um, then there's the narrative where you just tell a long story and tie it in sort of Garrison Keeler-like to, to a, a final point or in Garrison Keillor style, maybe no point at all. This is a sermon style that I I haven't used very often, uh, but it's called the diamond. And what it is, is it looks at a passage from different angles to get the different facets of that diamond. So there are four uh, angles through which, or we're going to look at this passage. First is the priority of prayer. Second, the people of prayer. Third, the problem of prayer. And finally, the purpose of prayer. First, the priority of prayer. This passage says, if you're sad, pray. If you're sick, pray. If you're happy, pray through song. In other words, whatever your circumstance, pray. The whole whole of life should be characterized by prayer. No matter what the situation, pray. That 
was quick. I hope the other ones don't, aren't that quick to get through. We'll, we'll be out of here early, and that's just not acceptable. Don't worry. The second is the people of prayer. This passage is in a context that starts uh, back up in verse 7, where James says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, waiting patiently for autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm. And what I want to look at there is he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters. He's, he's defining the church as a family. He's saying that those of you who are trusting in the kingdom of God and the return of the Lord are a family, and you should act like a family. You should be, realize that you are together, and not like friends are together by choice, but you are together by God's choice, that you, the ones you love and the ones you don't are together, one family, and it is important for us to acknowledge that. And sometimes the ones that you dislike are the ones that actually have more to say to you. As Scripture says, iron sharpens iron. They might be the one through whom God speaks to you, a message God wants you to hear. So to, to keep those ideas of separation by those I like and those I don't, James, throughout the book, is saying that is not acceptable within the family of God. We must value each other as God's chosen children, God's daughters, God's son, sons, our sisters, our brothers. This is illustrated here when it says, um, if anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. We pray for each other. It says, confess to each other. And in this, it's really saying we need each other. We need each other to encourage each other in our walk with God. We need each other to pray for each other when there is an issue. We need each other. Now, I do sing in the car. I don't understand the shower thing. I haven't done that. But there are times around the house where I sing a song, and it's usually one of the songs we sing on Sunday morning. There's one that's been stuck in my head for two weeks now. It's not a bad one, so I don't mind so much. But, and when I sing, not so bad. I think. But it's not nearly, not anywhere near as powerful as when you sing with me. When we sing together on a Sunday morning, there is a power in this room. The Holy Spirit inhabits our praise, and that, and that lifts our hearts. So, when we're happy, let's sing together. And it says, confess to each other. I don't know if any of you have some secret thing in your life that you really can't tell anybody. Let me tell you, if you do, that thing has power. That thing has power beyond your ability to handle it. You may be the strongest person in the room, but that thing will have power over you. And you know the way to 
decrease the power of that thing you hold on to secretly and privately to share it. We are created for community. Now that does not mean that I'm going to invite you each one at a time to come up and tell your most deepest, darkest secret to the rest of the room. Might be fun. <laughs> it might be horrifying. But to rob sin of its power, we have to share. We have not share in sin, but share about our sin. Share about our heart that won't let go of it. Tell other people how powerful this thing is in our lives. And more often than not, the great fear and trepidation you feel and sharing something with someone else and find a trusted person, of course, amongst the family of faith. But more often than not, you will discover that the person with whom you share is not as surprised as you thought they would be is not as disgusted by you as you thought. Because we all carry around something or other that we're not happy about, that we know displeases God. And unfortunately, in the church, somehow we've gotten into the habit of dressing really nicely, of presenting ourselves as all together, and we assume that I'm the only one. We say, I must be the only one who struggles because everyone else is so put together because that's how we present ourselves. But let's make space in the church to confess to each other so that we can defeat the power of these secret sins and find the love and strength of God exhibited through someone else to help us bear the burden And then there's this, man, facet two's taking a lot longer than facet one. Maybe we'll go long. Uh, well, we'll see. There's this powerful statement at the end that feels like it's tacked on, but if you understand the context, especially um, from verse seven, uh, where James is actually writing through this whole passage about those who believe in the kingdom of God, those who believe in the return of Jesus Christ, those who have been created, formed into a whole new community, a whole new type of community, we are called to live a certain way. And um, that way is important. So when we find these verses at the end, uh, verse 19 and 20, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Two things I want to point out from that. Number one is how much that says we belong to each other. Remember, we often hear, well, am I my brother's keeper? Do you know the context of that? It's from the Bible. It's Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? When God comes to him and says, did you kill your brother or where is your brother? So this is not a mantra. This is not a, a, a life verse for any of us to say, well, am I my brother's keeper? It certainly fits our societal expectation of everybody is their own self and should leave each other alone, don't challenge anybody else. But that is not, God was not pleased when Cain asked this question. For indeed, if 
Cain had brotherly affection, he would have cared where his brother was. And if he had enough brotherly affection, he wouldn't have killed him in the first place. But we are called to care about each other. If someone is wandering away, it says here, if you bring them back, you will save them from death. So often, and this illustration might be a little uncomfortable, but so often when someone you know or someone we know about uh, ends up making the decision to end their lives, people say, if I'd only known. I would have done something. I would have talked to them. I would have, I would have tried. And we don't always know. But when someone is wandering from the faith, if someone who has been active in the community of faith starts drifting away, we know. And isn't it just as important to bring them back to eternal life, to remind them of the treasure that we have in Christ, and to bring them back as it is to help someone realize the value of their earthly life. And because God has drawn us together, we are called then to reach out, to care about each other, and if someone is drifting, to draw them back. I said I was going to say two things about that. You don't, may not remember that I said I was going to say two things. I was sort of hoping you didn't remember, but then I mentioned it. But I don't remember what the other thing is. So moving along, oversharing. I confess oversharing. The problem of prayer. Do you see this in here? What's the problem in this passage? The prayer of faith will make a sick person well. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Anyone see a problem there? Not to undermine your belief in the authority of Scripture, but what is James saying here? We have to understand this from the whole of Scripture. We have to understand this through, of course, our experiences in life in which we say, hmm, A prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. So therefore, when I prayed for my mom, you might say, who was sick and she didn't get well, my faith must have been broken. It must not have been good enough. And I know people who have had this very experience and they beat themselves up for the rest of their lives because they couldn't make themselves believe in the right way to fit what they believe this passage is saying, that the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. And they blame their faith Because that seems to be what James might be saying. But we know that not everyone who is sick and is prayed for gets well. And if there were, if this were, if James were saying that if you have the right kind of faith and you pray, the sick person will get well. And if ever there were a person who had that right kind of faith and prayed, they would never die. Because they would be the one who every time they pray, they're healed. We know that doesn't happen. We know that's not how life works. So it must not be about 
how good our theology is. It must not be about how well we believe, although there is uh, an important facet of that, that uh, a person submitted to the will of God, that person's prayer will be heard differently, I believe. But all of our prayers are through the Lord Jesus Christ who hears our prayers. There was a time a number of years ago, well, I worked in Duluth, Minnesota at the First Presbyterian Church there for five years, well, four and a half, but five winters, so that should count for something. And I had a very close relationship with our church secretary. We, I had a little espresso maker, and, and we'd make cappuccinos every, well, nearly every day, and we'd have those while we're working. And um, I actually, her mother had an extra room in her house, so uh, I boarded there, uh, so I was really part of this family, a very dear, dear friend, and about a year after I left Duluth, I got a call that she had been diagnosed with colon cancer that had metastasized into her liver. She was given two to five years, and at about the two-and-a-half-year mark, she was very, very sick, and there was a call that went out to people from the church and around the nation to pray and fast for her. So we did. And two days later, she died. She died four days before her son's wedding. And I thought, the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. And we prayed and we fasted. What was God doing? And I've come to believe that God was preparing us. I went out to Duluth for the funeral service on Thursday, for the wedding rehearsal on Friday, and for the wedding on Saturday. And that family, as much as they loved and missed Vera, that family was united, that family was strong. The church family was united, the church family was strong. Because God knew that we needed that prayer. God knew that we needed that extra time of prayer and fasting, of focusing on God to prepare us for what he was doing. And what was he doing? Was he making the sick person well? He was. Not in the way we prayed for it, but in a far more glorious way. So that leads us to the final point, the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to build our relationship with God. And when we looked during our small group times at the persistent widow, we find in verses 7 and 8, the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then it ends with this odd little question. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is talking about prayer and persistence in prayer, but his point is faith. Will he find faith on the earth? The purpose of prayer is to build our faith to build our relationship with God so that whether the prayer is answered the way we think it should be or answered in another way, 
Our faith is strong. Our trust in God's goodness doesn't waver. Now, I moved from central Pennsylvania a little over a year ago. In central Pennsylvania, they like NASCAR and country music. So I moved to the suburbs of Philadelphia in just a small degree to escape these things (laughs) and find that there is more love for country music among my brothers and sisters in this church than I experienced in central Pennsylvania. And maybe, to a degree, there's good reason for that. Because I ran across this song by Garth Brooks. Just the other night, and I can't do the twang, sorry. Just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into my old high school flame. And as I introduced them, the past came back to me, and I couldn't help but think of the way things used to be. She was the one I wanted for all time. Each night I'd spent praying that God would make her mine. And if he'd only grant me this wish I wished back then, I'd never ask him for anything again. And then the chorus. I thank God for unanswered prayers. (laughs) Remember, when you're talking to the man upstairs, just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean that he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. We don't know it all. We have a very limited perspective, but the one who sees it all and knows it all, the one who loves with a love we can't even comprehend, hears our prayers. He knows what we truly need, and we say, how is it possible if my loved one has died that God really loves? And remember, All of this, this passage from James and the passage that we look at of the persistent widow, both have as their undergirding um, foundation the belief in God's eternal kingdom. And in God's kingdom, all will ultimately be made right. And as we cultivate our relationship with God here and now, We are preparing ourselves for that eternal kingdom. And those who have gone before, when they greet us, will say, I understand now. I didn't need to hold on to that because this is so glorious. Let us pray as those who are cultivating a walk with the God who loves us, who cares for us.